Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Brandon Sanderson, I love you. I want to say this. If you've seen our channel in the past, you all know that I had this on ready. Oathbringer is, was my favorite book of all time. And I love this for so many reasons. It will always, it's, it's a phenomenal book. That doesn't change a thing. But as far as the rating scale goes, and when we get into what my favorite book is, Golden Sun took the cake. Golden Sun is my new favorite book of all time. Welcome, welcome everyone to the Two to Ramble podcast, episode 68. My name is Richard, and this is Austin. Today we're talking about Golden Sun by Pierce Brown. Today is your all lucky day, because I actually get to be positive about today's episode. I don't get to be a negative Nancy today, because I really loved this book. This is a fantastic book, and I'm looking forward to talking about it. Richard, we're about to have the best day ever. SpongeBob, it's too many memes from SpongeBob. We are talking golden, golden sun. I am so happy that you love this book like I yeah. love this book. I don't know if you are a psychopath like me. So if you guys saw our Red Rising episode, you saw I really loved Red Rising. Yeah. I love Red uh, Rising. To, I think you love Red Rising more than Pierce Brown loves Red Rising. That's okay. That's gonna, it's a relationship I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay I'm with. Positive. <laughs> Here's the thing. If I, have, if I do get the chance to ask him, which... Maybe we will. Yeah. He'll be actually coming to politics and prose. What is the date exactly? Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be seeing Pierce Brown July 28th, 7 p.m. at politics and prose. We will be seeing Pierce Brown and hopefully talking to him and whatnot. But maybe so. We will be there. And it's in Washington, D.C. If any of you guys want to meet us there, we'll be there. So I must say this, Richard. Hmm. We're going to talk about this book. This will be spoiler-free on Golden Sun for the first five to ten minutes, and we'll get right into spoilers. We will be spoiling Red Rising, though, in that spoiler-free review. We'll assume that you read the first book, because this is book two of the Red Rising saga. And I will keep my my trap shut about the third book. I will reserve myself. Yes, and once again, guess what we have here as a special guest? We have the one and only. The, The best. The best. Kyle? How you doing, Kyle? Hello, gentlemen. It's Kyle Derrick. Thanks for having me back. Let's read some more Red Rising, shall we? So we have Kyle, and that beautiful, that beautiful voice is going to be... Oh. I sent him way too many lines. I sent him... He, he is working his oh. ass off to get us these lines. So thank you, Kyle. Man. Talk, talk about a man that makes you feel self-conscious. <laughs> <laughs> man, like, I think about you. You're going through all these editing things and you got to listen to our voices all the time. Can you imagine how much nicer it'd be with the editing process if our voices sound anything like Kyle's? Just like butter. It's Just so butter. smooth. Oh, God. It would make... I'd imagine you would enjoy the editing process rather than, like... <laughs> Disdained. Yeah, just, like, <laughs> grinding gears in your ears, you know? It's what it usually is. Yeah. But I gotta say this. Opening rant, we're, we're gonna give you a spoiler-free, and we're gonna say our rating. One thing I gotta do, I created a new law. 
A new law. A new Austin's new law of books. Austin's new law of what he enjoys. Mm-hmm. And this is what it does. It's the it's the not the trifecta, but the four laws of Austin. Share. Golden Sun, this book made me cry. It made me laugh. It made me look at something from a new perspective. And it made me I, I had to look for the fourth law because that you know it's a new law that I made. But I was also I was also deeply invested in the story. But that's the Austin Four Laws. I laughed, I cried, I was deeply invested, and I learned something new from a new perspective. That is storytelling at its finest. I Pierce Brown to me could could snap his fingers and I don't know what I'd do. I'd just say, here, take my money. Just let me buy all your Darrow stuff. He has a Kickstarter. I'll promote it. Just it's gonna be in the description. Buy his books. Pierce Brown's a master. Brandon Sanderson, I love you. I want to say this. If you've seen our channel in the past, you all know that I had this on ready. Oathbringer is was my favorite book of all time. And I could Dang. still say it is my favorite fantasy book of all time. I think it has the best character arc. It has something I can always think back to. And I love this for so many reasons. It will always, it's, it's a phenomenal book. That doesn't change a thing. But as far as the rating scale goes, and when we get into what my favorite book is, Golden Sun took the cake. Golden Sun is my new favorite book of all time. I can stamp that approval. It is Austin approved. Richard, I know you don't like it as much as I do. You love the book. I do love the book. But are you ready to gush about this thing? Thing is, I actually am ready to gush. Oh. I'm, I'm tired of being a negative Nancy. Yes. However, when I say my rating, you're gonna be, you're gonna feel insulted, and yet, I'm rating it high. I'm just waiting for it. You're just waiting for it. Yeah, okay. I, I'm waiting for you to be angry at me. All right. Well, here's the thing. Do you want to get into a spoiler-free review? Yeah. So, assuming that you read Red Rising, this book leaves off right where Red Rising ended, where. Actually, there's a year gap, not right where it left off, mm-hmm. but we just saw Darrow is now an Augustus. He's with Augustus, and it ends on a real high note at the end of book one. We just saw him win in the Institute, and now he's under Augustus, and it starts right from there. And the very first chapter, it's action-packed. And I could say for this book, as a spoiler-free, and tell me if you agree with this, Rich, but the stakes are increased. Yeah. There are more twists and turns. There is more political intrigue. This book is everything that I was promised in the first book. My biggest problem is when I was going into Red Rising, I felt like I was promised a certain type of story. And I was given Hunger Games. And And that was my impression. And then Golden Sun, I was given everything I was promised in the first book, and I loved it. So this is far more akin to your Ender's Game type deal whereas book one was your hungers game hunger games yes this one is more your this is more space opera this this is you get more spoiler free space battles but everything is it takes the narrow scope of the previous book where the previous book is narrow it happens in mostly in this this institute and the battles are more medieval Mm-hmm. So now this book ups the stakes where it's a wide scope. There are a lot of moving There's parts. space battles. Yes. There's more sci-fi stuff in here. There's sci-fi stuff. And like I said in my Four Laws of Austin's loving of things, this book is both completely enraptures you. It is The pacing is incredible. It is addictive. It's adrenaline-filled. It's just a adre- It's a high. The entire book is a high. And with that being said, there are genuine moments in this book where I couldn't help but cry. 
That if it hits all those notes, a book hits literally all those notes. I am happy. I am thrilled. I am sight. I'm loving it. And then I'm crying and I'm crying. And then there's a plot twist where I'm like, no, ha, ho, ho. This book is that good. This book is that good. Man, the the inner oh. urge to just disagree with you so strong. <laughs> Please don't hurt my feelings. I can only take Red Rising so much. Here's here's the thing, and. Yo, just to tell everyone else, I read this book about a year ago, so my energy is not as high. I'm going off my memory of how I felt a year ago on the book. Yeah. So that's why my energy is going to be mixed well. But I'm assuming, hey, you've read the first book, you're going to read the second book, so you're on through. I think we should get right into the raids and go right into Spoiler-free rating? Yeah. Okay, what was your spoiler-free rating out of 10? My phone turned off. That's okay. <laughs> An 8.2 out of 10. <laughs> I love this book. I don't know what sound that was that I just made, but it wasn't happiness. <laughs> An 8.2. That's a fantastic it's book. A, it's a great score. Now, here's what I, I gave. I don't give many 8.2s. You don't. And I have never given this rating to a book ever in my life. I give Golden Sun... A perfect 10 out of 10. I think this is perfection reincarnate. And I will tell you one thing. When I first did the rating system with this, Rich, you know what it came out to? It came up to a high nine when I first did the rating of this. And I love the book extraordinarily. And then you know what I did? I was plotting out the book to prep for this episode. I Mm -hmm. put all the plot points down. I wrote all my notes because while I'm reading the book, I'll write notes. I put all that in there. This is still spoiler free, by the way. Put all that in there. I took a shower. And I was like, man, these two things really bugged me about this book. These two things really bugged me. Like not really, you know, really enough to bring me down from a 10 to a 9.7, whatever I had it at, right? Okay. So these two things bugged me. I was taking a shower and I was looking at the wall as you do. Not my reflection. My reflection scares me. But I was looking at the wall and I said, wait a second. Wait a second. Pierce Brown, you tricked me. Like the, the, fl- the thing that I thought was a flaw made it beautiful and i respected it more it's like it was right the message was right in front of me the whole time you gotta explain what these two points are i I will i will but uh, the first point the one that was really bringing me back there was one point about it which we'll get in this watch and i i went through it in my head and went oh my god that's the message of the story and then i was floored because you know where red rising is entertainment and where red rising is a book about it's it's big entertainment and also i love that it shows how to be a leader getting over his rashes so there's a message there Stories have messages. This one, the one thing that was sticking in my head was, hmm, it's a great enthralling story. Loved it. Like, what's the message too? And it's so important. And I, I, will, I will be, t- everybody I ever meet is going to be like, oh, there's the Austin kid, the one that talks about that book, Golden Sun again. Oh, that's my new personality. I'm sorry. I have to say this. Morningstar, I did not read yet. We're, I held off on yeah. that on the third book. Once I do, and... I can't imagine that I'm not going to like Morning Sun just based on Pierce Brown's... Tra- I've never trusted anyone more in my life in finishing a story other than Brandon Sanderson. This is going to be just my new favorite series. I'm in love. And Rich, we're going to get into spoilers and everything. Anything you want to say in spoiler-free? Uh, clearly, I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm I, talking I way too we much. Are, we are holding off too, too long. Yeah. If you're... But at this point, you've already read the book. I don't think we need a spoiler warning anymore. Let's just go into it. Going to spoilers. That's your warning. Rich, we'll get into our categories. Like usual, yeah. this will frame the conversation. Emotional impact. 
I got an 8.75. Can you guess what mine was? A uh, 10. Uh. No. Yeah, you gave it a perfect It 10. was a 10. Say it with a clear voice. Don't you ever mock that 10. This is so good. I love this. Uh. Oh, and so why did it? So I'm going to do my best here. Here's the thing about being a podcast for a while. Just some insight is I've realized, you know, you watch your stuff over and over again. Mm-hmm. And there's some episodes where you take leads. Some where I take leads. I'm going to do my damn best my bloody damn best to put my hands on my lap and let you say your piece if i if i intrude you oh, let me know this is all yours buddy no 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 i the i need you on episode that's me <laughs> I, small gods I'm that's just, all me i love this book man. those are my things this is yours i love you, it you're totally welcome to have it also i'm going off of a memory of over <laughs> yes so you're gonna have to help me during the plot section of this i can break it down yeah, and yeah, it'll yeah. be great so emotionally what do you remember from that year ago? What did you so, feel? Overall, I remember the the biggest improvement for me is I was far more emotionally invested in the characters. Like, I liked the characters more. The character interactions were just better for me. The surprising moments like, hit far better. I was far more floored. Of course, the ending twist of getting caught. Like, oh my god, that was a banger ending. And a great way to do the, uh, the Empire Strikes Back type of ending. So, perfect. I, I I loved all that. So, it was such a step up from Red Rising that I had to give it that extra point. Phenomenal. You, you just love the book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great. No, and no complaint there? No. Just like you've re- you're comparing it. Hey, I like this book better. So, you give it a high eight. Basically. Okay. I, I was going through and, you know, if I go through other things like, um, like my emotional impact. Did the heights of Wheel of Time for me the whole series. Like there's certain books where I was just more emotionally invested gotcha. in the okay. whole thing. So like both characters, plot moments, all these things c- culminate together where I was just, You're that's there. a higher score. And to be fair, it's kind of, it's not a really fair test because those characters I've been with longer. And when so stuff happens to them, I'm more emotionally invested right. where this book, two books. I think we also rate differently there too, because I put that as part of my thinking of a book so you know i'll judge a like a shorter book different than mm-hmm. a longer book typically uh you know if a book's 100 pages versus a stormlight's a thousand pages what they do with those pages more so where you like and justified as well so if you're on a wheel time book book 12 and it's just amazing and throw how do you not how do you not give that lower high yeah because so sometimes there are long series where i don't care right. i don't care about the characters and so i'm rating it poorly yes. and in many ways i am rating it even a bit more like you had all this page count and you didn't do it. So oh, I do so a, you do put that in to a, okay. to a little bit degree, but not as much just as me, on maybe. pure like what did I feel? Yeah. I didn't feel the highs as when I felt in Wheel of Time or Lord of the Rings. Okay. I'm just gonna hey, but you, you love the book. I'm darn close. Okay. That's an eight point seven five. I don't rate those very much. Like, I don't put those that high. So hey, it's a good score. Amazing. Amazing. And my emotional impact, I think I let that loose earlier in the episode but seriously when when I go over the things that make me love any film any book ever mm-hmm. like what are my favorites you know Lord of the Rings of course what are my favorite? I love Interstellar is a great movie why, why is that because something that I'm deeply intrigued by like I can't keep my eyes off it. I can't stop reading it also makes me cry when I'm watching it or when I'm reading it it makes it teaches me something it it also it just all those things crying laughing that's the other thing I'm laughing I'm crying I'm enjoying it all brings all those emotions in one package that's why I love everything overall at once that movie hits all of those notes for me 
this is one of those unique books where it hits every single note and does everything I want it to, where it is adrenaline rushed. The pacing is excruciatingly fast and amazing. The plot points in this, it feels like so much happens in this book because it does. And it's, I've seen way longer books. It is incredible how much is done in this. In this. What is and, your highest? Oh my goodness. Like, what is the, the, mo- the moment in the book that w- got the highest emotional reaction out of you i will say two because one was the height of adrenaline Mm -hmm. and one was the height of crying Mm -hmm. the height of adrenaline was actually there were so many moments but was the beginning with the gala the gala scene and and daryl walking in there politics screw you i'm stomping on the bolognas stomping on plates i am challenging you cassius and guess what? Guess who trained me? And you know what? Oh, you know how much I love the scene? I'm going to say the other scene I love. But we had Kyle. I had Kyle read off this portion of the scene. This is the fight of Darrow versus Cassius. And it picks up right where Cassius is, you know, Cassius is winning. Yeah. He thinks. And here's where it picks up, okay? Listen to this, everybody. Kyle, take it away. Do you hear that? He asks. I hear nothing but the wind and the throbbing of my heart. That is the sound of dying alone. No one to weep, no one to care. Akros will care, I whisper. He stiffens. What did you say? Lorno Akros will care if his last student dies, I say, dropping the falsely ragged breath, straightening proudly. Cassius stares at me as if he's seen a ghost. He hesitates. So too to those who hear what I say. While you ate... I trained. While you drank, I trained. While you sought pleasure, I trained trained. from the weeks after the Institute to the days before the Academy. Lorno Akros doesn't accept students, Cassius hisses, not for thirty years. He made an exception. (laughs) Liar. Oh? (laughs) I laugh. Did you think I came here to be killed? Did you think yourself entitled to my life? No, Cassius. I came here to cut you down before your parents. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And I, that's not even the full context of before and after. That's so badass as well. I could only I could only force Kyle to read so much, okay? That's the most I felt comfortable with because before that, you have him smashing the plates, saying, screw you, getting the Civil War to start. It's such an adrenaline pump scene. And then even when Octavia, the Sovereign, comes to stop, and says, no, and it's clearly unfair. And finally, this is what, it was her mistake of her coming in and stopping this fight to keep Cassius alive. She does this. And Darrow anyways goes, you, he is mine. And still chops off Cassius's arm. Bam! <laughs> when I tell you I had in my notes for this, all, all my notes, oh, so all my notes had for this was, mm-hmm. Yes! 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 Sorry if I'm screaming if this is too loud, but we have the thing so it doesn't sound too loud in the mic. But it's just... I don't know how much technology could help you. I don't know. But my notes when reading this scene, just to remember on were What? What? Yes! Yes! Just panicked notes in my notepad. I loved it. I loved it. So that was my highest adrenaline moment, all right? Yeah. Now to juxtapose that with the highest sad moment. And I will... I also had Kyle read this. Okay. This to me... uh, like every time I've read it so far, I'll I'll see if I I don't want to compose myself. But you know, since it might be different from a camera, I don't know how I'll react. But this is the mother scene when mm. he went back home, and 
Oh, the beautiful thing about this, we're going to have Kyle read it, but this is the scene where he goes back to Lycos and he sees his old feral mother and his, she looks at him in the eyes, his golden eyes. He doesn't look the same at all. And she still recognizes her boy. Just, yeah. I'm going to play it from Kyle. This, this book is freaking perfection. I can't get over it. Okay, here's the scene where he's coming to see his mother for the first time in four years. I have to duck to enter. The home is cramped, quiet. The first floor is the same as I remember. The small metal table is not changed, nor have the plastic chairs, the small sink, the drying clay dishes, or mother's prized tea kettle that heats on the stove. A new rug covers the floor. It's the work of a novice. Different boots sit where father used to place his at the base of the stairs, where I used to set mine. Wait, those are mine tattered and worn more than they'd been in my day. Are my feet really so small? Silence guards the house. All sleep except her. The tea kettle hisses as the water reaches a boil. Soon it begins its breathy murmur. Feet scrape over the stone stairs. I almost run out of the room, but terror roots me to the spot as she comes closer. Closer till she's in the room with me. Pausing at the last stair, foot suspended, forgotten. Her eyes find mine. They never leave, never look at the rest of my golden form. I panic as she says nothing, a breath, three, ten. She doesn't know me. I'm a killer in her house. I shouldn't have come here. She doesn't recognize me. I'm a lost gold poking his head in out of curiosity. I can leave, run away now. My mother never has to know what her son has become. Then she finishes her step and comes toward me, gliding. It's been four years. She looks twenty older, lips thin, loose and webbed with lines, hair worked through with sooty gray, hands tough as oak and gnarled as ginger roots. When her right hand reaches for my face, I have to kneel. Her eyes still have not left mine. Now they let out tears. The tea kettle screams on the stove. She brings her other hand to my face, but it is unable to open and touch like the other. It remains twisted and clenched like my heart. It's you, she says softly, as though I will disappear like a night vision if she says the word too loudly. It's you. Her voice is different, slurred. You know me, I managed desperately. How could I not? Her smile is twisted. Left eyelid sluggish, life has been less kind to her than to me. She's had a stroke. It breaks me to see her body fail her. To know I wasn't here for her. To know her heart was broken. I would know you anywhere. She kisses my forehead. My boy. You're my Darrow. The tears leave warm paths down my cheeks. I let them linger. Mother. I mean, damn. If that's not relatable to every son and daughter in the entire universe, and I promise you, if I'm reading or listening to this in my room alone, tears are pouring out of my eyes every single time. It's hard when there's lights on you and a camera (laughs) and just this bald, creepy man staring at you. (laughs) But every single time, this this scene just gets me. Mm. And, oh, the thought of... The thought of not seeing your mother in that long, but the only person that could ever recognize you, that unconditional love. She knows her boy, Darrow. Yeah. 
It was an emotional scene. I do remember that one. It it always it always hits, and it because you could take that and put that in any scene, and mm-hmm. it just makes so much sense, and it's written so beautifully. It's so simple, and I love it. And there, I will say, strangely enough, there's a second time that got me as well. So if we're just talking pure emotion, there's a sec, there's a second time that got me to tear up. What and was that? it was a little less so. That was the most powerful scene. But believe it or not, when we get into characters, I want to commend every single character in this book, of course, because you know I gave it the ten. But such a small minor character in this book was Victra. I liked her. I, I liked her. I loved her. I liked her quite a bit more than I thought I. Can would. you say love just once in this episode? No, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I loved her so much because, and we'll get more into characters, but she is that flirty, like could be homewrecker character. And you're like, eh, this is this little sketch, but throughout the entire book stays loyal to Darrow. Mm-hmm. And so, so she gives off this, she gives off this energy of, oh, she wants someone to watch out for. Maybe she won't betray you, but she's, she wants you for the wrong, lustful these kind of vices, but well, mainly she's just playing with you. It's this, um, you clearly see some type of wall or mask that, Mm -hmm. that that's what she's wearing. Yes. And so you don't know what's really deep underneath and shows actually underneath it all is a very loyal person. That's what you come to find out. Mm -hmm. And the, the most gut wrenching thing about that Mm -hmm. was in the final scene where Victra, Lorne, Augustus, Fitchner Aries dies. We have so much to talk about this episode. But where when that happens, Victra's one thought as she's dying, her only thought is I need she's crawling, bloodied, and I, I have it here. I can say exactly what the line is. Victra crawls toward me, blood leaking from her. That then this is later in the passage because a lot happens, and it says, Victra manages to crawl to my ankle. A slick of blood shadows her path from where she was shot to the place where she now curls. Red on her lips. I can't feel her touch. I didn't know. She whispers, Darrow, I didn't know. The last thing she has to whisper to him is just, I'm dying, but he has to know I didn't know this. I was I was loyal to the end. Like it doesn't I'm dying, I'm bleeding out, but Darrow. I didn't know. That means so much in the story. It's such a small thing, but meaningful. Like what you do when you're dying, that's what Victor did. And it just shows her character so well. At first, she seemed like this side character flirt that was just going to be a, just another piece of the story to kind of make it interesting and a little love. It could have been a love triangle thing, could have cheapened it, whereas Mustang, Victor, Daryl. No, it became so powerful. And the emotional impact of it, sticking on that rather than diving into her character more. Moments like that that made me genuinely feel for these characters. And the adrenaline rush. Uh, so that was only one scene. The adrenaline rush of Cassius versus Darrow. Not to mention where they get trapped and then he has to get out of the mud. Not to mention when he has that to. That was an exciting The scene. intro scene where they carnis, they rip their ship in half. And the escape scene where hundreds of bodies are flying out of the capsule and he has to get out. Or the scene where he takes over the ship with Ragnar in it. Or the entire Mars battle. Holy crap. There's so so I could talk about this all day. So you're gonna have to pace me and move us on to the next category. Yeah, we got to go to characters. Oh, you've been you've been holding us there. Characters next. What did you give that out of ten? I gave an eight point five. Eight point five. And as before, I give my score. It's a ten. It's all tens. <laughs> we get it. No, is there anything you want to say in emotional impact before? No, you. Okay. I don't remember a lot of these scenes nearly okay. as much. Okay. And when you bring it up, I I remember. liked it. They're really good. Yeah. I'm not the 10 for you, but I'm still giving it like really high eight. Like I'm, I'm loving it. 
well, Rich, guess what? Hmm. You have a 10 out of 10 elbow. Your elbow looks nice sometimes. You know what? That is often my uh, most... Uh... It's my most attractive quality. That's what people tell me. That's what they, people tell I me. Met, I met Richard. Man, that guy's got elbows. Two of them, actually. <laughs> they tell so, me I got the face for radio. Yeah. <laughs> so I gave it a 10, clearly. You gave an 8.5. Um, go ahead. I thought it what, was what, a what? significant step up. So from previous, from the previous book of Red Rising, I had a 6.5 okay. for characters. I gave it an 8.5 because I think it was genuine, like at least two points above where I... I really liked all the other characters. Darrow, I think the relationship between Darrow and Mustang was far more interesting and with the passage of time just made far more sense. The internal conflict with him, all that worked for me. I liked that stuff with Victra. Um, the side characters, I think, were more interesting in their gold element and then how much Darrow's passes a red really conflicted the whole thing. And so... I enjoyed the character interactions so much more. I was way more emotionally invested in them. Amazing. So, yeah, that, that's my two cents on characters. Okay. Red Rising, you know I love the characters, Red Rising. Yeah. It's just a level up. It's, it's, it does everything that well, and mm-hmm. the side characters, there's more that stand out, and I got to say several things. Yeah. <sighs> okay. The one thing that I was stuck up on, and this goes into emotional impact, this goes into character, this moved the score up from the entire book to a 10 for me. Everything yeah. was amazing. So what was the lesson learned here? And that was the question I was asking myself. The plot was so fascinating and so fast-paced and a lot was happening. And I couldn't pinpoint it at first. Do you want to jump in on this or do you want me to just keep going with this thought? Before you get it, yeah. um, my, my initial thoughts on the message of the book was the price, the price of loyalty. And often the, the, that a lot of people ask for loyalty and but sometimes that price is too high and the so that was my kind of thought that's a great message that that's yeah definitely i think that's definitely a message there okay. and and the one that i i got from it as well was okay let me break this down the one thing that didn't sit right with me at mm-hmm. the end of it was tactus do you remember tactus's character remind me so tactus in red rising and this this is why i think this is genius i don't know if pierce brown intended this i imagine he did this is what i interpret of the book and why it means so much to me okay so tactus in book one was the character that tried to rape nyla and then that's where darrow whipped himself to teach tactus you know show to, to show leadership Okay. Right, so that's that character. Then in this book, what Tactus does is he's part of the group, but he remember takes the grandson when they're using him. He's the only reason they're able to survive because they escape from they escape from Luna, and they're in the ship. But they have uh, Mustang got the grandson with the Howlers and Darrow, and so that's their that's why they're not getting shot down. And then Tactus takes the grandson, jets out. Yeah, do you remember that scene? So uh, then, so you remember all that? Tactus was a bad guy. Yeah. He's a real bad guy. And then what ends up happening is I believe they're on Europa. And that's where Tactus is there again. And he's about to kill Lauren's kids, his grandkids. Mm-hmm. And what we see is Darrow talking to Tactus out of it, talks Tactus out of it. Lauren kills him anyways. Right. Do you remember this? Yeah. Okay. So then that, that's what happens. And I looked at it and Darrow in the later in the conversation says about the killing of Tactus like that, that wasn't right. Like, uh, Tactus, like, I failed Tactus, which, to take that responsibility, I see what Darrow's doing, that's great, but I failed Tactus, and I think he was redeemable, that kind of thing. 
Whereas Lauren was taking the stance of, I've seen this happen before. He, he threatened, threatened my he kids. Threatened my I'm kids. not giving him and a second chance. As a reader, I'm looking at Tactus going, he's tried to rape, uh, tried to rape a woman. He tried to kill everybody by taking the grandson out. Completely betrayed everybody. So when Daryl was thinking like, man, we should have kept him. I, th- I could have changed him. I couldn't connect with the redeemability. Because you know my favorite trope is redeeming characters. Mm-hmm. And Tactus to me was like, man, I couldn't get behind him being redeemed. I couldn't get behind it. Here's the genius of it by Pierce Brown. Here's what I'm reading into it. Mm-hmm. So later in the book, the Lauren says to Darrow, you know what? I think you were right. I shouldn't have killed him. Do you remember this in the book? You'll have to... Vaguely. Not so really. Lauren says to Darrow, like, yeah, um, what Homer... Achille, Homer wrote Achilles as a warning. That, that, that's, that was his lodging going, you know, I think uh, I, I think I was too, too rash. Or what, Lauren agrees with Darrow's message of he was redeemable. And I, I was like... I don't know. Uh, Tactus wasn't that redeemable. And here's the genius of it. What's the last scene of the entire book? Lorne is dead. All of his grandchildren are dead. By the Jackal. The most irredeemable character I've ever met. I think the message... This is how I'm taking the message of the story. And whether it's true or not, this this is what I got out of this book. Tactus's entire point between Darrow and Lorne was Lorne was right. Some people are irredeemable. And I love redemption stories so much. There is a line, and that line was crossed. And d- you think Darrow's the right one. Like, hey, Tactus had a chance. You think Darrow's right in the first perspective of reading the book, or intended to be. And Lauren even agrees. Hey, you were right, Darrow. That's the message. You were right, Darrow. And then the last chapter of the book completely flips that and shows, wait a second. Lauren was right. Lauren's dead. Because he was, Lorne's dead because of it. There is, not because Tactus killed him not or anything. Tactus, but, but it wasn't like, Tactus, but another irredeemable character, the Jackal. Tactus is a warning for someone like the Jackal. You, loyalty mm-hmm. only goes so far. And I thought about that and went, oh my God. Because with a lot of stories, a lot of stories have this redeemable character. And sometimes they are, they redeem themselves or they die right before they can get redeemed. I haven't read a book like that where the message is just, there are redeemable evil people. And there, there are messages in other stories like that, but yeah. not in this way that was so powerfully shown where the message, you're, you agree with the message, then it flips the message again. I haven't seen it done that way. The flip, flip, and I was mind blown thinking in the shower, wow, I got something so good out of this book because now every time I look at Richie and he, you, you know, you ask me something like, hey, Austin, I need help, help me, whatever. And I could go, Richard, you are irredeemable. I learned. I learned. I know you have a line, and I've crossed it too many times. Lauren taught me to not trust you, but that's that's one huge message I got from the book. As that that's what the character showed. That's what Tactus, Lauren, and Lauren being the retired badass. That's your favorite character moment, right? The retired badass Lauren was amazing as well. What do you think about that? And what are your thoughts on Lauren? Go on. I like Lauren. I didn't. I he's just not as memorable to me. Like, he, he's a retired badass, but there's just Aww. not a lot of shining moments that I really got. So, I, I really don't remember him at all. Wow. I just know, like, he was like, oh, yeah, this, you know, this uh, amazing master who doesn't, doesn't take any students. He took me, and I'm the exception. That whole thing, it was just, like, thrown there. And I was like, okay, cool, badass that we haven't heard of yet. And, but we just didn't get a lot from him. So I don't really remember him very well. Got it. He, so he had a lot of that threatening presence scenes where when they were, when Pliny betrayed them, remember Pliny? Mm -hmm. And they go in, there's hundreds of the betrayers against Augustus and 
Darrow and Lorne are there. Darrow's going up to Pliny, and you see people shifting, and Lorne just basically says, if anyone moves, I kill you all. And everyone just goes, okay, sitting back. It's just that those little threats there from Lorne and his philosophy. What, what makes him such a great character for me are the little sayings he has. Uh, where one of the sayings, let me pull this up. I have a, it's a very long sheet I have in front of me. <laughs> one of the sayings he has about the rabbit and the hare, mm-hmm. where it's, if oh yeah, if you're a fox, play the hare. If you're the hare, play the fox. And these Latin, I think it's Latin well, phrases. That's a that's a different telling of uh, Sun Tzu's Art of War. Interesting, yeah. Because uh, the Art of War is all go on that. It well, it's just the whole. If you're strong, pretend you're weak, and if you're weak, pretend you're strong. Great. That's that's all. The, the art of war is basically your enemy needs to think the opposite of what you actually are. Awesome. And do you want to hear more of these one-liners? Sure. Kyle, actually, I had him just say some of the one-liners from the book. And I don't, I don't get Kyle for my Wheel of Time quote. <laughs> you, I'll send you away. I need, I need some Kyle for my Wheel of Time. Listen to these one-liners, and we'll go right back into characters. I promise. But it was just yeah. natural in the conversation. So mm-hmm. here, here are some of the one-liners from the book. And here are some one-offs for you. These are good. <laughs> Liars make the best promises. Nice. Liars yeah, yeah. Here's, here's another one. Wise men read books about history. Strong men write them. Oh, and then listen. Here's Kyle's comment on that. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, you're the man, Kyle. All right. Ain't that the truth? Oh, it's, God. He sounds like Lorne. How I met. No, he sounds like I Ragnar. Wish, I wish I could get a carver to like just carve my vocal cords to give me his voice good world building use in the, in the nice in that year long using memory. that gold brain of yours that gold brain alright here, here's some more one liners it's not victory that makes a man it's his defeats very true you meet a man you know him you meet a woman she, she knows, knows you. you man what a great line <laughs> what a great line alright here's some more a fool pulls the leaves a brute chops the trunk. A sage digs the roots. That was another Lorne saying, and mm-hmm. that's how. Well, that's what Daryl used in his battle against Cassius. He was using some of those teachings because if, he said if he fought how Cassius taught him, he'd be dead. But Lorne taught him this different yeah. way of fighting. If you're a fox, play the hare. If you're a hare, play the fox. And what is the bloody damn point of surviving in this cold world if I run from the only warmth it has to offer? That was with Mustang, that, yeah. that scene at the end there. So, holy crap, a lot of great one-liners, uh, fantastic parts there, but to dive into character so we can get this as efficient as possible, <laughs> which is going to be impossible, what did you think about the man himself, the Jackal? Talk about an intimidating villain. The, the, he, the Jackal, even in Red Rising, had, I think, the most presence, and especially in Golden Sun, had wonderful interaction with Darrow. Like, I loved, loved his interaction in the beginning with Darrow. Where the Jackal and him are kind of, like, working out together. Like, they're this weird partnership, which is just strange. You think it's the antagonists to allies trope. And it is, for a bit. Kind of. It's more of a Darrow's like, you know what, enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of deal. And That's basically antagonist to, yeah? Yeah, but you always know it's it's eventually going to end. Like yeah. it's a it's a liar. It's like the U.S. and allies. Soviet Union during World War II. It's like, hey, for right now, for right now, it's we have a common out, interest. But 
we know where this is all yeah, going. Yeah. <laughs> but so I love that he has a great presence and especially the ending twist. Wonderful villain. So I he's a better villain than uh Nero Augustus. No, the, the Octavia? Octavia. Yeah. So the jackal and what the this is what defines him. So in Red Rising, the great scene of him cutting his arm off. Mm-hmm. This one two sentences. When they go back, this is toward the end of the book. This is what happens when Ragnar was, you know who Ragnar is, right? Yeah. You remember Ragnar? Beast of a man. A beast of an obsidian, I should say. Like, just the biggest guy. I love how the font's in bold when he speaks. Intimidates everyone. This is the jackal's narration of what Daryl says. The jackal doesn't even look at Ragnar. Physical power bores him. Just that one character who, it, it defines him. He is the, he is a the sadistic that psychopath that you, you don't know what he's always thinking he's always scheming and that physical power that his hands are no use to him all it's his mind in the scheming it's just it's such a powerful villain where nero augustus he was threatening and you know he was more you understand his character as well what he's doing he wants to preserve society and you think this is the big villain all of a sudden his son is just 10 times more intimidating well you think about darrow as a character and what he brings to the table where he is both cunning and physicality. He's strength. So he's generally like one of the best fight, one of the best fighting golds. He's, he can beat just, just almost anybody. He's taught by this great teacher. He leans on his physicality and he's a pretty good planner and schemer, but not that good. Like Mm -hmm. often his schemes fall apart and he has to rely on his physical strength to get him out of a scrape. And the jackal ain't the ain't that, and so that's it's an interesting conundrum because that is almost always I think Darrow's weakness is mm. he always has his strength to lean back on when something doesn't go when something fails he can fight his way out of it. Jackal never has that luxury; he always has to scheme his way out of everything. His schemes have to go right. Because physically speaking, he's not fighting his way out of anything. Book one, he has to eat people to get out. Yeah, that, he will do anything to survive, and he'll use he'll use his power to do that. Not his not his physical power, mm-hmm. but his influence. That's that's a great point. Yeah, and what what makes him such a juxtaposing villain, and, and, and what really makes him really hard for Dara to kind of wrap his head around. Yeah, absolutely. And we have to also mention Kavax and Daxo, the Telemannuses, Pax's Pax's relatives. Ah, yes. They were and fun. Tell him, man, this is what made them fun. Just these simple lines of, my boy trusted this one, so shall I. And then later in the book, the Reaper calls. House Telemannus must answer. <laughs> yes, just best boy, best men coming to save the... I am with the Reaper. My son was with the Reaper. You name the ship Matt Pax. Let's go to battle. That's all I want. Just give me more of that. You just want this nice little hit of testosterone. Just- give me that. That's it. That's all I ask. And then, of course, we have Vitra, who I went in more into detail, yeah. emotional impact. But Vitra, just, just to emphasize how amazing of a character she is, that she comes off as just this flirty, maybe little plot conflict here and ends up being such a, not even pivotal to the story, but pivotal to the message. Pivotal mm. to the, so I guess it is to the story. I'm saying the same yeah. thing. But just pivotal to the message and makes a really big uh, what, what's that saying? You know, the teeter your totter. I had to say it once in an episode. You know it was coming at some point. I think I put it in the wrong spot just because I was trying to be aggressive with the usage of the term. Oh, really? But Victor's amazing. Victor is amazing. The fact mm-hmm. that the last thing on our mind was to let Darrow know mm-hmm. that it, I wasn't a part of this. 
amazing. Going on to Ares slash Fitchner, that reveal. Ooh. And a, as a character, what do you think of him? Well, one, I think it makes... Um, it makes... Uh, oh, what, what's his name? The Sun. The Sun? Oh, Severo. Severo. Yeah. Far more understanding on why he's so close with Darrow. Yeah. The, the connection there is, I think, really impactful. Yep. I don't want to spoil anything. No, can no, you, no. Can you mind telling me the connection so I'm not, I'm not stepping on any to- toes? Father, what's son. The re- what's the reveal Fa- with specifically Severo? Yeah, father, son. Who is his mother? A red. There we go. Okay. Yes. I just wanted to double check here. Making sure that was in this book, yes. Yeah, so I'll make sure. So that reveal did happen where it explains Ares why he's created the Sons of Ares. Mm-hmm. And fascinating. Why Severo is kind of really different than yeah. regular golds. However, I want to get into the character that I thought was most improved, or at least I had. Can my, I guess? Yeah, Mustang. Yeah. Okay, go on. I loved Mustang way more. Go on, Mustang. Yeah. I, I thought, from what I remember, going back is I liked how she just made more sense and had this kind of independent drive to her, and I liked her operate. Just her with Darrow made a lot more sense to me. Uh, they worked off each other great. And the the push and pull, uh, how she was able to trick all the other people around her and this kind of, uh, these faux relationships that she's holding just to kind of gain influence, I thought was really good and interesting. Added to the drama, I thought she worked well with Darrow and I could see why they worked together. Yeah, I, I, was, I loved her in the first book already. Love her again in the second book and mm-hmm. second book, especially with a couple scenes. One big scene is when he shows Mustang that he is a red. Yeah. Mustang has the natural reaction of going, Bolton. What? <laughs> what? It's not a happy ending. Fears. Oh, we live happy. Yeah. What? This is sh- just like these small things that are input where Darrow has Ragnar carry the razor at one point where Obsidians can't do that, where you hear Thistle, one of the other characters, is going, what? Stop. You can't do that. So it shows the, the, it keeps the consistency of the gold. Oh, did a fly go in here? I think, oh God, like a <laughs> bug went on my nose. Oh, it's a sign to raise the rating of Golden Sun. It's a, it's, <laughs> God's telling you, raise the rating, Richard. I will send more plague and flies. Oh. But, so, where was I with uh, several? No, no, I was with Mustang, yes. So Mustang and Darrow also work extremely well, where, actually, hey, I want to give a cut. Yeah. Be right back. All right. All right. We're back. We're back here. So we were talking about Darrow and Mustang. Mm-hmm. Another scene that really works for me is the order of this is off. But when Darrow goes back home and sees his home again for the first time, he looks at how small his shoes were. He realizes, wow, like the place, the, the grounds where Eo and I went aren't as beautiful as my memory told me. If I saw Eo again... Would I love her just as much? Would she be as beautiful after everything I've seen? Yeah. And for the first time, he admits internally to Eo isn't perfect. Eo's this memory, and she stays more perfect in memory. But if he saw her today, would she still love this little red girl that he loved four or five years ago? And so showing that he 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 acknowledges Eo's flaws as well. Like, hey, sometimes she's going was- native, but it's more of the flaws I think us as readers saw. Of, I think there there's an incredibly. It's incredibly selfish <laughs> what she what she does and does to Darrow specifically. It's incredibly reckless and 
basically committing suicide to spark him to kills her child too yeah kills her child to do like i would not say that that's the uh emblematic of you know perfect person (laughs) that that that's some serious character flaws in there she's more complicated she isn't this perfect little angel she's extremely complicated and why i think that's such a stunning inciting incident in both Mm -hmm. what it does in book one and book two so book one eo dies book two we find out eo died and had a child with her i also want to say that is the one reveal that was not surprising at all (laughs) i knew that from the get-go right you get the fact that they're like what else could she have whispered in her her sister's ear yeah of course she was pregnant Mm -hmm. so that that's the one thing that like is supposed to be this big bombshell i was like I knew this one. I was talking to Dom, who's also reading the book. He saw the same thing. He's like, hey, I just finished this part. Does he have a kid? And he was, I was like, you, sh- you want me to tell you yes or no? Let me know. But I was like, yeah, that is the case. So yeah. what that does for the motivation, and Io as a character, just to think what freedom meant to her, that we were talking about in another video, character motivations. Mm-hmm. Freedom as a character motivation. Like I've never more than her child. I've yeah. never seen someone want freedom more than Eo. <laughs> where she was- when you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. She's willing to kill herself and her own child on the chance that Darrow could save the world Jesus and and even that I don't even know how much of a motivator that like I don't know how good that plan is (laughs) like just kind of thinking about that that's not a that's not a great plan but I mean it worked I guess but I don't know how you predict that that's kind of throwing caution to the wind like just going maybe well, it's also the case of since there's a billion reds, to put it in the perspective of, you know, Darrow's the protagonist. Darrow doesn't survive because he's the protagonist. He's the protagonist because he survives. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's that kind of case. This is the case where it worked, where it took you, it took Darrow. Right, and that's, that's, our, that's our story. That, that's the story we're so, following. Yeah. We're also stories over chapter one. But EO, EO makes, it makes her character more present. It just it shows her character motivation even clearer. It solidifies that. And Mustang, we were getting a Mustang and how she's improved. I just loved how they had this back and forth, this conflict going throughout, and it didn't end on a high note. I imagine next book, I have some predictions I'll make at the end. I'll mm-hmm. save it for then. But briefly want to mention some other characters like Aja, just very threatening. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. The Sovereign. The Sovereign is just, she will do anything, anything to win. And I love that about that villain. Well, all costs. She killed her own father, except for grandson. That's <laughs> the one thing. Grandson, yes. Except the for, one thing that one she weakness. won't do. Yes, yes. So anything but kill her grandson. Caveat. Yeah. So she has that weakness. Reminds me a little bit of 
Um, oh my goodness, I can't believe I can't think of her name from Game what of Thrones. Jo- uh, Joffrey and jo- not, not Jamie, Cersei. Jamie and Cersei. Cersei Lannister. I haven't even read the books. I know this. Cersei Lannister, and her very similar feeling of how gripping of a villain. So you have Octavia here. You have Jackal, and uh, uh, I just want to mention Roke. Roke was also more powerful this th- than the previous book, and I still loved Roke. But Roke's betrayal and how that was done in a way that, of course, Roke. I'm not going to agree with Roke, of course, but I go into the thought process and I, I understand all these villains. R- I understand remind all these me of Roke's betrayal. Who was Roke? I don't particularly remember. Roke him. the poet. So Roke is the character that was friends with. It was Roke, Cassius, and Darrow at the Institute, and then Roke also led the ships during during the invasion of Mars. Oh, and okay. He was one that Darrow initially put injected him before he was going to blow everyone up, and then their relationship was strained throughout the book. Darrow was trying to make it up to Roke. Oh, and then eventually yeah. Roke at the end was the one that I think he was the one that served Fitchner's head at the end. But anyways, he betrayed with everybody else. It was the whole whole thing. And also, we have to mention Ragnar. 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 The bold text Ragnar. Love you, Ragnar. Amazing. And then uh, we'll get more into him in plot stuff. Lastly, okay, want to mention Julia Albalona. Only reason I want to mention her is she's not... You see her, like, twice. You see, you see the Albalona, and remember, there's a lot of antagonists. There's Jackal, there's Octavia, the Sovereign, and then you have the Bologna's Kasha still wants Darrow dead. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that hate Darrow right now, want him dead. But Julia Albalona at the beginning, uh, this, this is what Darrow narrates about her, okay? Mm-hmm. They say ever since, or they say every, I'm going to restart that. <laughs> they say every night since I stole Julian's life in the passage, his mother, Julia Albalona, has sat at the long table of her family's hall upon the slopes of Olympus Mons and lifted the semicircular lid of silver tray brought to her by the pink manservants. Every night, the tray remains empty, and every night she sighs in sadness, peering down the table at her large family only to repeat the same vindictive words. It is clear I am unloved. If I were loved, there would be a heart here to sate my hunger for vengeance. If I were loved, my boy's murderer would no longer draw breath. If I were loved, my family would honor their brother. But I am not. He is not. They do not. What have I done to deserve such a hateful family? Let's go right into plot on that specific Awesome. Note. Let's do it. Okay. What do you rate plot out of 10? It's my highest score. I give it a 9 out of 10. High score. I lovely. really love the plot. However, so I gave it a 9 out of 10 as well. Just right there. Did you not? Hmm? I, I said I gave, I gave it a 10. Yeah, of course. You give the whole thing a 10 out of 10. I know all your scores are 10. You didn't, you didn't catch my subversive joke where I said I gave it a 9 out of 10 and then you're Okay. I didn't catch that okay, one. Okay, I gave it a I was in my own head. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, go on. What were you saying? She doesn't make as much sense there. I wasn't... They know that Julian's gonna die. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's just something about where they kind of put Julian there for sacrifice. Rich. Like, they know going in of like, yeah, Julian's gonna die. That's why he's supposed to be Rich, there. here's why I love you like a brother. I'll tell you right now. Yeah, I'll tell you right now, this this is your best quality as a man. What? <laughs> this is, so in the book that you like, 
Yeah. Your highest rated category. <laughs> the first thing out of your mouth. Well, it was relevant in the conversation. But yeah, that, no, that's the <laughs> thing is, it's such a thing that I don't remember it being, it's just like a, a weird thing. Mm-hmm. You could honestly explain it away and make it, because maybe it's in similar form to Cassius, where Cassius is like, hey, I know that you are forced in this situation. I get it, but you still killed my brother. Thing is, there's a difference of he was ignorant about the whole situation going into it and feels the sense of betrayal where I'm looking at Julian's mom, you know, Cassius's mother, kind of set her up, set her son up to fail. Like, so, here's so that's the, thing. the difference. It's a little weird. So it, it's a smaller part of the book, mm-hmm. but this did happen in either book one or two. Can't remember which it was. It might have been Red Rising, but where Cassius said, um, either he got this information from Cassius, I believe, or someone that the, their parents didn't tell Julian about the Institute. So, uh, what's what's her name? Yeah, Julia Albalona, the mother and father, did not tell Julian about the Institute, but they trained him with the sword as best they could. They prepped him in there and made sure that he would, because they knew he was going to be in that one-on-one. So, they gave him all the training that you could possibly give him, and it wasn't enough. And so, they, they loved their son very much, and they thought they trained him hard enough, and the person that killed him, that's why they had... So it was explained that they put this so much effort into this son. They they loved him so much. He's dead. So it was that portion. Now it wasn't dived into a ton, but that was there. I'm, I do remember that 100. Okay, fair enough. But, but give it nine that, out of ten. Why do you love it so much? Why do I love it? Is yeah. efficiency. So there's not a wasted chapter in here. <sighs> it is surprising. All the other than the uh, Eo was pregnant part. Everything else was really surprising and hit home um the action was just super fun but on that though all you, that. to have surprises you need to have things that also that you can predict that's what makes a perfect book is there are things that step in line that you can predict and also other things that are plot twists yes but eo's reveal is not one of those that was supposed to be a surprise to oh, the you audience think so? yeah okay uh, it was set up very much like it's supposed to be a bombshell surprise and it was not Okay, I thought so. I took it as it was more of a bombshell surprise to Darrow, and it's that supposed bombshell, to be a bombshell yeah. surprise for Darrow. But it was—I think okay. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be a bombshell surprise for the audience, and it was not. Okay, re- regardless, maybe I could be wrong. Well, hey, Pierce Brown, no, you, you could be right. Wrong. You could but, be right, but regardless, what it did to Darrow and what it led to is what was super important mm-hmm. to, in that moment. But yeah, go on, go on about the life. ending. The ending was so surprising. I, I oh. love all the stuff with uh, Mustang. It's really hard for me to find a particular flaw or plot hole in the story. So, yeah, just I loved it. I absolutely loved the plot. I had it broken down into four parts, and I'm not going to... Well, I, I said the L word for you. I loved the plot. We're both in our own heads. I was just ready to go I'm just well. wanting to let you know, I loved, you loved the it. plot. <laughs> Kiss the book. I kissed your handprint. <laughs> I love this book, man. So with the with the plot here, I have it broken down into the four parts. Mm-hmm. And we can't go into every detail, of course. Yes. But part one, just to give the highlights of what makes this book so amazing. Darrow versus Car- Carnus at the Academy. And how I was really interested because at the end of Red Rising, Darrow was so... He was now with Augustus seemed like he had everything going for him he won at the institute how's he gonna fall and him losing the carnus getting beat on beaten both 
in the game than physically by all of the members and then losing his losing his safety net with Augustus. Great compelling way to show our character going down. And he's on he's on the floor, goes to the Luna slums, talk this is where he talks with Jackal, talks with uh, talks with Sons of Ares, and it becomes a terrorist. He's he's going and he's gonna blow up everything. And going into part two, that's where you have the amazing gala scene, challenges Cassius, Lauren trained oh we already talked about that enough. And then you have the Sovereign meeting that happens in part two as well with the scorpions that tell the truth. And that was such a gripping scene to me as well. And you have the escape scene from there where Augustus and everybody's about to die. The Howlers come. Howlers save the day. Boom. They get out. They escape. And then they go and take that ship. And that ship is where... Oh, that's where also Tactus Tactus betrays him. Tactus Tactus betrays him. Then they go on to the bigger ship. And that's where they meet Ragnar. So Ragnar's met... Part three happens where two plans are set. Darrow is to go to Europa and get... I'm just giving a framing framing this book. Oh, Darrow, I appreciate yeah. it. So Darrow Darrow's goes to Europa to get Lorne, while Augustus, I think, is going to the Academy to get more kid, the, more of the Academy people on their side, going to Mars. I believe that was that, that half of the plan. So on Europa, what an amazing scene on Europa as well, where Lorne, uh, Aja's already there setting a trap for Darrow, but Darrow knew this and set a trap on them. So, and f- freaking amazing where Darrow forces Lorne's hand. He makes him pick a side. The way you get the retired badass out of retirement yeah. is you force their hand. I force you into this conflict. Do you think I'm the bad guy? You call your ships right now to kill me. You have to pick a side. I'm taking that risk. Oh, <laughs> man, he learned from his master. And then you have the... Darrow tells Ragnar the truth bit where it tells him about him being a red Pliny's betrayal and that's how Augustus gets uh, gets trapped or not gets trapped gets taken if Pliny's betrayal and you have the eventual invasion of Mars amazing scene there of course we can go into uh, oh my goodness in the battle with the tech in Red Rising the more medieval you know you, you have these you're on horseback versus the battle in this and how even several himself it just uh, here. Here's the line by Severo, which I loved so so very much. Uh, I was wrong about war. And then goes into all this. Then Daryl asks, "Are you still with me, Severo?" And he said, "Always, Daryl. Always. Just Severo's best boy. Always by his side." That's and your th- best line. That's that's a normal line. Did I say best? I, I just love uh, the line. Uh, okay. Fair enough. Uh, it's just like I love the line. <laughs> uh, I just. <laughs> Just, that's like, there's that's, a lot like of lines. A, a carrot, that's like a character going like I like I like you a, I like you I man like, you're great and yeah. I was like okay that's not like you know I don't know I'm just like you, you're saying like oh I just really love this line and it was just such a basic line out of all the things you've said in I'm these just, two episodes no out of all the things you said that's that's the most fair one. <laughs> that's, 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 a, not a, that's, that's not a that's not a line to write that's, home. That's not about. even a critique on the book. That's a critique on me as a person. No, that's critique. Yeah, that, that's not on the book. And I will that's take your that. fault. Here's the thing. That's what you have to do. Whenever it's a book mm-hmm. that I love so much, don't attack the book. Attack me. Okay. That's that's how you can get me on your side because the book is flawless. I am the flawed one. That that was not the maybe the line to stick out, but. Then part four is where the trap happens, where the girl, they're in the invasion of Mars, trap happens, he's in the mud, gets out of the mud, gets Ragnar out, you have Darrow set, you know, they get out, attack a bunch of people, Darrow says yeet, goes straight for the Sovereign's ship, that's where we get the Fitchner's Ares reveal, so much more happens in there, but then the aftermath and the amazing plot twist ending. 
Um, also, I can't forget him going back home. Him going back home and seeing the difference and seeing uh, and telling Mustang, seeing his mother again, seeing Dan, who I will talk about in Paul, in the pro section when we get to there. But such a well-trimmed, no-fluff plot where there are so many highs and adrenaline moments, so many plot twists, keeps you guessing. And it has this in common with Game of Thrones, of course. No character is safe except Daryl. Yeah. That's I'm comfortable saying that. So even going into the next book, of course I got unfortunately like I know Dar uh, uh, okay, I know things about Daryl in the future, unfortunately. Because just the culture around Red Rising is like going, oh, you know. I, I don't want to say it in case people haven't read on further. But Okay. I don't want to in case because if you're what, just what, close, so. at what book were you spoiled? And that wasn't spoiled a specific book. I just know he lives up to a certain point. You know what I mean? Gotcha. So, and it doesn't distract that much because every other character, I have no clue and no one's safe. And I assume in this case... Also, it's a single POV yes, story. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I, yeah, though it's... I'm pretty comfortable he's safe, but no one else is safe. Yeah. I can safely say I have no idea where any of these other characters are going to end up. And that is thrilling. Thrilling to watch. Mm. To, not to watch, to read. We will watch it when it becomes adapted. But just just perfection. That's that's all I gotta say. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, nine, amazing. Nine out of ten. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. And the the focus on the plot twist at the end. What was your reaction to that? Oh, incredible shock! I was. It made sense by the end of it, but it just cemented Jackal as just such a great, intimidating villain. The fact that he knows Darrow's caught. He's now like. That it's the darkest hour moment. It's mm-hmm. your empire strikes back. It just being lowered, kind of like how in Star Wars, Han's lowered into carbonite and all that. I got, I got the reference. <laughs> I thought it worked really well. Yeah, I, my notes on my notes on it, in just reviewing, were: Are you explicitive? 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 Kidding me? That, like, what, 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 what? I write, after I read, just to get my reaction, I'll type down my thoughts just to be like, this This is how I felt in the moment. So that's how I felt in the moment. Your brain is an odd place. I wouldn't want to be there. Nope, got nothing. Okay. <laughs> it is an odd place. Couldn't think of anything there either. So Nero Augustus dies. Lorne dies. Victor dies. Fitchner dies. Four humongous deaths. Humongous deaths. And the most impactful... I told you how much I love Victor's death. Every single one is impactful. Because Nero Augustus, him no longer being the antagonist, the bad guy. Jackal's the bad guy. Emphasizes the jackal. Mm-hmm. Lorne's death. I'm going to ignore that little moan you made. <laughs> I don't... Augustus was never, like, the big villain. I always kind of mm. saw... It. So, his death is not as impactful for me. It's kind of like... Yeah, of course... He's like the low, low boss. He's not even as intimidating as the Jackal. So it, it just wasn't that big of a death. When the villain gets killed by the bigger villain, though. So yeah, oh. it's, like the, it's the classic. It's great. I, I love that trope. It's a fun one. Lorne dying killed me. I was... Really? I, it killed me. Oh. What do you mean, oh? I just wasn't as emotionally attached to Lorne specifically. I, what attached me even more, th- even especially in hindsight, is thinking of the message of the book and just what Darrow and Lorne's message was with Tactus, with the Jackal and the irredeemability and Lorne was right in a way and that got him killed 
agreeing with Darrow pretty much got him. And again, this is how I'm looking into the book. And also Darrow forcing Lauren's hand. Darrow forcing Lauren out of that dream of just living out with his grandchildren on Europa. That's Darrow's fault. Yeah. That is on Darrow. He Lauren is dead now. And I can't I don't know exactly if they killed all his grandchildren in front of him. Uh, but the end scene was just brutal. But Lauren being dead killed oh, I, I was I was so pissed in a good way. It's you know when you read those, you watch that stuff. You watch a killer ending, like No Country for Old Men, the ending there. When you when you see an ending like No Country for Old Men, an ending like this, that pisses you off in a great way. I I, I mean the highest of compliments to No Country for Old Men, the highest of compliments to this of you had the cojones. You had this is marvelous. Thank you for making me feel. You know, I feel like in Into the Spider Verse where the noir character is like, sometimes I light a match just so I can. Uh, it comes to my finger and I feel things. Or you remember what was that line I said? Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I let it match and let it burn down to my fingertips just to feel something. Yeah, yeah, that was great. That was great. <laughs> but, man, it's amazing. Victra's death, I've talked enough about why I love Victra. She's such a small, important character. Fitchner, Aries dying, was the most unexpected. Even though Nero Augustus, probably the most expected of the deaths, maybe even Victra, Lauren, mm-hmm. Lauren was like, no way. Lauren had so much you could have done in the next books. I was, I was so looking forward to seeing Lauren again. But mm. to top all those deaths, Fitchner, Ares's death was the most out of left field stunning to me because we just found out he was with the sons of Ares. We just found out. He had so much. I, w- I wanted to explore so much with this character. And we found out about his past, of course. But he was, and what, why this hurts even more is Darrow feels like he's on ground zero. He's in the depths of hell coming into next book. He's captured, and on top of being captured, it seemed like things were on the up and up. He had the Sons of Ares on his side. He had this network going for him. That is gone. His head is chopped. You are done. How do you get out of this? And to top that off while we're still, we're still in plot, right? Oh my God. We do need to go into the other two. (laughs) Strap in for the, we're keeping going on this episode. (laughs) So on top of that, an amazing part, can you remind me where I was? I was with, uh, with, oh yeah. It's, you're at the darkest moment. He did have the sun's various, but now he's known as a red. Yeah. How was he going to get out of that? And uh, there was a similar moment as well where I was, I just went, no way. I know Daryl lives in this way. No way he gets out of this moment was, you know, when he went onto the ship and alone with the grenade. Grenade gets kicked out. Aj is there. Sovereign's there. Hey, Fitchner, kill him. That's the whole thing. I'm just like, how how does he escape this? And how does it make sense? And of course, the Fitchner Ares reveal. This is another one of those moments. I'm just like, how? These odds are impossible. But Daryl will do it. Let's go, (laughs) Daryl. So, here's my final note on the plot. Okay. By the way, when we review a little time, I'll give you, I'll just shut up. I will I'm, sit in the I'm corner. Gonna, I will feel no guilt stretching yep. that out to two hours. I will long. I will just have my legs curled. The thing is, I think you're going to be very positive. Did you have red? Did you have him on sad this whole time? Yes. You son of a bitch. <laughs> you, you evildoer. We thing are is, smiling you're going to be, I think you're going to be with me on book two. Great hunt for real time. Yeah, you're awesome. going to be, you're not going to be as excited as me. Because Similar I'm to this situation. Con- yes, but I think you're going to be far more with me on it. Awesome. Yeah. The last note on the plot for this book mm-hmm. is this is the last note that I wrote down was, of course I'm reading on, 
thank God Almighty that Severo, Mustang, and Ragnar are alive, that they weren't there. I was just thinking, okay, so many great characters just died. Thank, thank the Lords. We got Severo. Thank you, Mustang. Thank you. And Mustang's going to be so fascinating in Morningstar. I can't wait. Yeah. And thank you, Ragnar. Because if, if they touch my Ragnar, if they touch, and thank God, thank you that the Telemannuses, I should just thank Pierce Brown probably because he wrote it, but thank you, Pierce Brown, that Telemannus is still alive as well. Uh, Kavax and Draxo. Wow. By the way, if you don't realize, this, this is the only book I've ever given a 10 out of 10 to. Ever? Not even Lord of the Rings. Oh no, it's Lord of the Rings is the default ten out of ten. We don't even discuss it. It's like the goat. It's like that's assumed. Lord of the Rings is assumed. You know, you, okay. you can't. It's an unrateable series. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dialogue pros. Would you give it out of ten? I gave it a seven out of ten. I understand which why. significant. It remember Red Rising. I gave a five point five. I understand. I think it was a significant step up in writing. Uh, so Pierce Brown definitely improved in his second book. Really enjoyed it. This we could use to show the rest of Kyle's nice little, uh, nice little passages he read for mm-hmm. us. So he already read my two favorite parts of, of the book, which were the Cassius versus Darrow scene he read and the meeting his mother scene. Now, I also want to go back to this is a scene where Darrow goes back to Lycos and he sees, do you remember Dan from when you read it? The Dan, uncle? No, not the uncle. That was Uncle Nero. Dan is one of the one of the Greys that used to be above, and he was the one, oh yeah yeah the tiny little boss that you know when you go back to the Shire at the end and just yeah. you went on this whole adventure now you're back everything looks different. Mm-hmm. So this is Dan, the little Gray, who's looking at Darrow now, and this is Darrow's new perspective of this Gray. Mm-hmm. This this is what this passage is. Here you go, Kyle. Is something the matter? He asks. You're right. I say. His beady eyes scurry back and forth between his best grays, searching for signs of the inequity I noticed. It disgusts me how desperate he is to please me. This man stole from my family. He had me whipped, watched Eo be killed, hanged my father. He's not wicked. He's just pathetic in his greed. I, I'm right about what? He asks, blinking at me. That it is impossible to find refined company in places like this. My eyes fall so heavily on him, I fear he might burst out crying. Seeing him, seeing Dan, does nothing but fill me with a distant strangeness. I wanted them to be terrible, hideous monsters. But they aren't. They are petty men who ruin lives and don't even notice. How many others are like them? The banality of evil. Really fascinating how he, you, you look at these, he almost shows pity on them. He's sad. It's just sad. Mm-hmm. Rather than Dan, he's seen so much evil now and he's seen so much of the world. He comes back and sees Dan as this pathetic pleaser, sycophant. Just really great perspective. And I, I'll play this as well since, you know, we had the lovely Kyle, the, the Kyle Derek himself also read this off this is Ragnar's I don't think we talked about Ragnar enough so this this will do Ragnar justice where it's Ragnar's introduction scene you know when you see that bold text for the first time and he's killing his way to get to Darrow he's killing he's killing a way to get to Darrow and you know swear fealty to the new peerless guard this is that scene right there here we go Kyle take it away 
Then, one of the blue gasps, and we glance back at the HC monitor to see the cameras in the halls outside the bridge door relaying a scene of horror. It, he, runs at them from behind as they prepare to make entry into the bridge. An obsidian, but larger than I've ever seen. But it's not just his size. It's how he moves, a dread creature stitched from shadow and muscle and armor, flowing, not running, perverse, like looking at a blade or a weapon made of flesh. This is a creature that dogs would flee, that cats would hiss at, one that should never exist on any level above the first tier of hell. He smashes into the kill squad from behind, with two pulsing white ion blades that extend out of his armor three feet from his hands. The greys he simply runs through, crushing them into the walls with his shoulders, splintering their bones. Then he starts the real killing. It's so savage I have to look away. The heat drill continues melting the door of its own accord, and in its center forms a hole. Through it I can see men and women dying. Blood sizzles on the overhead metal. When the stained is done, he's bleeding from a dozen wounds, and there's only one gold left. She stabs him with a razor, piercing his dark armor through the breastplate. He twists his body, locking the blade in, and then clutching it when she lets the blade relax into a whip. Then he grabs her helmet, her golden armor glittering under the hall's lights. She tries to escape, tries to scramble away, but like a lion with a hyena in its jaws, he needs simply squeeze. Oh my God. <laughs> when she is gone, he lays her gently on the ground, tender, now that he's brought her a good death. Severo involuntarily steps back from the door. Mother Mercy. The stained stands on the other side, the door between us slowly melting from the center. When the hole in the door is the size of a torso, he removes his helmet. A hairless, pale face stares at me, eyes black, wind-weathered cheeks armored with calluses like the hide of a rhinoceros, head bald except for a meter-long white shock of hair that hangs to his mid-back. We lock eyes, and he addresses me. Godchild Andromedus, I am Ragnar Volaris, oh the stained firstborn of my mother, alias Nosparrow, of the Valkyrie spires north of the Dragon Spine, south of the fallen city where the winged horror flies, brother of Sephi the Quiet, breaker of Thanos, which once stood by the water, and I make you an offering of stains. Quite the introduction there. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I had to send that to him because he sounds like Ragnar himself. That voice he did for Ragnar. Yeah, that's a good that's a good voice. He, the best Ragnar thing Ragnar that anyone special. could do because Kyle's helping us out big time. If anyone works at a voice anything, like if you do voice performance or you need somebody, reach out to Kyle. He yeah. Don't take oh, him yeah. too, don't take too much of his time. We still want to use him while he's you know, while we can. So <laughs> amazing intro there. And last piece since we're into politics at uh, the dialogue and prose. The dialogue and prose. I was thinking politics and You're prose. You're thinking the politics place and prose. Oh, yeah. Which, I by the way, you. again, we're going to be at Pierce Brown. Politics and prose is the store he'll be at. We're going to be there July 28th. And so this is the last piece I wanted to show. A more basic part. It's not... This is not a standout portion. It's Pliny. Pliny's character introduction and how Pliny is described. Just to okay. show parts of the dialogue... Sorry, parts of the prose that I love so much. This is Pliny's introduction. Okay. Pliny. Slender as a salamander, with skin as smooth as pinks. The politico is no peerless scarred, never even went to the institute. His glittering eyes peer out from eyelashes that would put a peacock plumage to shame. Muted lipstick coats his thin lips. His hair is coiled and scented, 
his body thin but muscular in a pleasing but utterly facile way beneath a too tight embroidered silk tunic. A child could beat the living hell out of this beautiful kitten of a man. Yet he's ended families with a rumor here, a joke there. His power is a different breed, where I am kinetic energy. He is potential. Fascinating description. And I will have to, for the rest of my days, study how, how he writes. Because it, it's the most gripping thing to me. And I, I, there's not much else to say here other than I love it. It's your you like it. It's just, just my thing. And the emphasis on that is a small description. What, what he's able to do with analogies and examples and the visuals, I just, I can't wrap my, I'm going to have to study his prose. I, my favorite part of that was the, the, Kinetic. the kitten of a man. Oh, kitten of a man. Yeah. I like that. Just so many great visuals and uh, you understand exactly what he's going for. Pierce Brown props to you. Um, <laughs> Jeez, I got... Yeah, Want to go into world building? Yeah. World building magic, what'd you rate it out of 10? I gave it a 7.75 out of 10. Really good. Very okay. good. Want to ask me? Oh, did you give it a... Oh, probably, what, an 8 out of 10, maybe? Nope. 9? Nope. 9.5? Nope. I gave it a 10, actually. Oh, wow. Right? <laughs> so, why'd you like it so much? Um... Well, I really liked it because of the exploration, of course, of... I think the best part of it was the moon. Luna. Luna. Luna was the best exploration of the world and how the different hierarchies work together. And you got far more of an explanation of how uh, they went to colonize Mars and how they, you went from Earth to the rest of the solar system. Fascinating. Loved all that. that mm -hmm. So that it, it, the culture... The locations all make sense where they are. So I really like that. So the Luna part stuck out to you the most. Mm -hmm. I have in my notes here, yeah, th that was my second note. It was the Luna description, the Luna slums, understanding how the classes work together. I have a list of just how beautiful this world and magic... Uh, I shouldn't say magic system. This is just world in this case. Technology. Sci-fi technology, yeah. Magic is replaced with technology and sci-fi. So firstly, I want to mention the language. The language... Of uh, we understood from Red Rising how the golds talk differently, and it was it was a really nice insight to see. Okay, the, it's rare for me to read a book where the language is emphasized so much, where it's 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 meant to be a point of the different classes. For example, if you're looking at other fantasy worlds, mm -hmm. it's it's usually like a sub thing. So you know, there's a little accent here or something there. But we had from the previous book, the golds were described as as having this different accent. They would roll their R's. It was put in the description when he was being carved. This book, I like how it built on that, where the blues, they talk slower, except for people like the obsidians. They don't laugh, and they're bald. And I was just thinking of you when that was described. That's all. I was like, oh, so Richard's a blue. And they also share everything with each other. The grays do laugh. It just explained the dynamics between the different classes. Of, okay, blues, they're slow to talk. They're the, they have specific, they're the astro navigators. Right, okay, I can picture that. The grays are more your, what, like foot soldier kind of dirty work. That all makes sense to me. And going into the locations, Luna, of course, Europa, and how Europa was described, amazing. And more so into what you were saying about learning about Earth. I love little snippets of when we get Earth lore in futuristic worlds of what happened to it. What happened to America? What happened to Europe? So one thing that happened is that India 
the Indian Empire was one of the last to stand against the golds of Earth. <laughs> and I was just, that, that's so neat. Just that, okay, what happened in this world? Now you're asking questions. Oh, so India was the last, interesting. Yeah. Good job, India. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got the next next thing is, the, oh, the golds actually implant pain devices in pinks to comply. Oh, wow. That's bad. <laughs> just uh, uh, emphasizing that yeah. point. The Scorpion Truth Game also revealed some really interesting world building things. Uh, I love how it stays consistent. Of course, it stays consistent with Darrow's heartbeat being 29 beats per second because of the Pit Viper where he was bitten in before the story started. And Remind me of what what was the significance of that particular Scorpion. I know because I'm remember trying to remember what because his heartbeat was 29. 29. Like so, if it, that... if his heartbeat raised, then it would show he's lying. You know how lie detectors work, right? Yeah, no, yeah. generally. But what was... Okay, never mind. Well, it's a question about why was the scorpion scene happening between the Sovereign and Daryl. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what was revealed yeah. particularly from that. I'm, I'm trying to remember. So the reveal from that was so- the Sovereign was testing to see if she could trust Darrow. Because at first, she was looking to get Darrow on her side from Augustus. Yeah. Like, hey, she's paying off. Darrow's powerful. Let me get you on my side. And so she was doing that to test if he was trustworthy. And she's never lost the game. So the questions they were asking back and forth. Like, for example, we found out... There are, uh, Daryl was asking some questions. We found out there's 132,689 pure list cards for every 40 million golds. Like, have an exact number to it. Interesting. The, the plot point that was necessary is the last question that Darrow asked the Sovereign was, was your plan to kill Nero de Augustus at the gala? Anyways, were you about to kill him and the whole family there? When Mustang was in the room, remember? So Mustang was in the room, asked, was that your plan? And she says, no, it wasn't my plan. The scorpion goes to bite, you know, that she's lying, but Fitchner, Ares saves her, cuts the scorpion before it can, but shows that she was planning to do that, and that's where Mustang is then compelled to go, okay, I was trying to play her the whole time and play nice guy to get her to, to get my family safe, but now behind my back, she was trying to kill my family. That's where she takes the grandson, and she's like, hey, yeah, this was a whole facade, Darrow. Let's go. That that was the relevance what did, of that What did Darrow re- reveal? Darrow revealed, um, so he was nervous that he was going to reveal, like, oh, what if she asked me or if, my, if I read or whatnot. I believe it was, uh, oh, shoot. It, good question. It didn't reveal anything that was going to get, it's like she, by the end, she trusted him enough to go, like, send him to a room. I believe it was brief things like, why did you? Uh, why did you? Ch- like, why did you fight Cassius so badly? Like, what, what's your motive there? And he gave something that was true, or something along the lines of like, "Hey, pure, like, whatever." The, not the deep reason, but the surface level reason. Mm-hmm. So it was like her fishing for that, and her fishing for, "Do you want? Uh, do you want me dead?" So a question like that. That his goal isn't like you know, his goal isn't that he want. I can't remember the exact phrasing, so I'm sorry, but it's not that he wants her dead or something like he. He doesn't want her dead. He wants her out of power. Yeah, something like that. He just he wants uprising, but things that didn't reveal his true motives. Okay. So it was fishing that suspensing line, and what the real the real point of that was to reveal to Mustang, the sovereign was actually doing. So that that was that scene. Mm -hmm. But in that scene, we found out. So Darrow, I remember more of the questions Darrow asked. Like Darrow asked her, "Where are the locations of the?" There's these powerful, almost nuclear, like, just fast, like, far-off weapons. There's three yeah. locations where they are, and he found out the lo- exact locations because she had to say the truth. So we found out stuff like that, and that, that scene alone, we went too deep into that scene. So <laughs> other world-building things, this, this is, I think, even more fascinating than the Luna stuff. I love the Luna stuff. 
But the obsidians, the world building with the obsidians in this was perfect where we found out about the obsidian dark revolt and that was where the, the obsidians were the closest race to ever getting the golds out of power. They were that yeah. close, which makes sense. They're huge. It's like, why haven't, well, that, that's what happened. They ended, up they ended up defeating the golds, sending them to the poles of the planets and making it look like the golds are gods by literally producing famines and saving them and pushing Norse mythology and making their culture to the point where they can only, they only touch three times. They touch in death, in love, and in sex, something like that. That's it. They won't touch otherwise. They just have these cultural things that are constructed from the gold to make them subservient and to make sure they look at them as gods. They can't even touch razors. They can't do it. They're not allowed because we are gods to you. That's why you devote your entire lives to us. And I found that fascinating. And then on top of that, the the alien, and this is a side thing that's really small, but I loved it. The alien and robot conversation with Nero Augustus, how he really feared robots that he thought robots were going to be the next thing, but showing in the sci-fi world why it wasn't the next thing, like what they did to... Just just a neat little convo. Mm. If it's a sci-fi world, there's robots everywhere. Why aren't there robots here? Oh, they, they made sure not to because that was a fear in the society. Yeah. So it was cool to bring up. You have your things like the Rip Wings and Leechcraft, which I, I love the space battles. They're not dive... They're not doving, diving, diving, doving, 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 incorporated. <laughs> That's what it sounded like. They're they're not uh, explored. Explore. That's a good one. Yeah. So they're not they're not <laughs> deeply explored, but you have the rip wings that rip rip the ships open. The leech craft come in, and you can you can visualize it, and that's how space battles happen. Cool. Cool. It's the Roman way of doing space battles. It's awesome. Or it's the Rome. It's the Roman way of uh, doing naval battles. Naval. Oh, I see. You know how uh, Romans were like famously awful at ships. So just, and, just go and march with troops. Just get in, get like, in there. We're, we have great infantry, <laughs> so let's turn this naval battle into an infantry. And so they just get in these boats, ram it, yeah, throw their bridge on, and then board, and then beat them that way. Just hit them, hit them with stick. <laughs> Telemannuses, <laughs> Kravak stuck. So yeah. So that's the whole thing with the gold. Their whole thing is. Instead of actually fighting with cannons and all that, which they still do, the whole thing of get in there, craft. Yeah. yeah. So it I makes so much Roman sense with their society and their yeah. culture. Yeah. Thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. Love your seven point seven five. Makes so much sense. So <laughs> then, I even the small touch as well, where mm -hmm. the razors are now kind of wrapped around your arms. That new style was created by Darrow, and Lauren's like, I hate how you youngsters do that now. Why'd you start that? Or it's Dar because Darrow's. I love how Darrow's also a hero to the Sovereign's grandchild. Yeah, because funny. Yeah, he sees him like, oh, that's the guy that kicks everybody's ass. I love that guy. And then ends up capturing him and all that stuff in the plot. Another world building part where Fitch, again, why the world building is so perfect in this is that all of it fits so well with the plot. The plot never pauses for the world. But you explore the entire world. Blows my mind how this is done. So even with Fitchner, Fitchner's motivation. Why did he start this entire terrorist group? Well, I'll tell you why. Here's his actual story. My wife is a red. We had to go to a carver. This happened when you have these different races who literally cannot genetically breed with each other. We had to go to a carver. And that's how we have several. They found out. 
holy cow, that that's why where this all started so it gives you an insight into this is happening probably all over the the, yeah. the universe and then lastly this is the last part of world building i'll stop bugging you and we can let you all if you're listening to this in the morning let you get on with your day at night let you get a nice little rest or maybe we should stick around and talk Just about our life <laughs> <laughs> this sealed the deal for the 10 out of 10 for me I already love the world building and everything, but going back to Lycos, one, getting the new perspective that Darrow had of looking at everything. Fascinating. Two, learning what the greys do and how they keep the reds in line and how they make them slaves, where they have a literal pheromone that circulates to make the reds breed more. I want to know. I'm just thinking as an author, maybe that's not the most revolutionary thing, but I'm just thinking... It makes sense. So, like, they need more workers, and the firm, and it works with the 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 understanding of sci-fi and the world of like, of of course, that exists in this kind of world, and the suspension of disbelief, and it it's honestly not a far step from what casinos currently do. Yes, yes, and that's what it makes I you mean, think they, of. They don't pump in pheromones no. to make you breed, but they do pump in like perfume and different uh, pheromones, like get you to. Release inhibition to make you feel like more at home. Serve you alcohol, of course. That, yeah. Shut down. There's no natural there's no, light. There's no clocks. No clocks. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, right. It works right off that casino thing, and it just makes so much sense. And then how Dan, Dan the Gray, is explaining to him that they're following all of the Department of Energy's Guide to Mind Management, that book, where it's docking rations, cracking down on enforcement of legal violations, discrediting leading thought makers, and luring them into liaisons of homosexuality. Also, recommended scenarios uh, from the On Diffusing Rebellion book, where, you know, we've introduced plague and cures, rebellion and suppression, natural disaster, pit viper migration, and even considered the extraplanetary government upheaval package, where we can say terraforming is complete and people will be here in 10 years just the understanding of this is how the reds are being lied to so you see the perspective of society from the reds you understand the obsidians you get the blues and their astronomics mm-hmm. i can't even say the words right you understand the golds deeply the, the cultures of this world perfect the tech the tech i love how it's done and it's used in the battles i can't complain this is a 10 out of 10 book i love it i want to hold it so you heard it here first uh the the years and years of Tolkien writing out the different languages for his different gr- groups of people and doing a whole history book to basically back up his uh, his world and all the different races, languages, poems, songs, and the complete written down history. That world building is the same as Pierce Brown's Golden Sun. The exact same. Tolkien and Pierce Brown. Same world building. Exact same. You know what my response is to that. You already know. Yeah. And here is my response to that, okay? <laughs> Tolkien, you're also perfect in the world building, of course, is perfect in there. When I'm rating something out of 10, by the way, this is also a 10. When I'm rating something out of 10, it's the intent of what they're going for and all, all the accompl- I can't. I can't judge this the same I would judge a Lord of the Rings book. I just can't. They're, they do effectively what each ought to do perfectly. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings perfectly does his world for everything it ought to do. 
especially the language and how he was influenced by Beowulf and Anglo-Saxon culture and him being a, a learner of languages, does it perfectly. Pierce Brown, what he does with the modern sci-fi and keeping you invested, his, he's plot, character-focused and centric and creates this interesting cultural world around it. I got to say, both do, both accomplish exactly what they're going for. It's just like this. I've used different different comparisons, but I'll say just like this. I could have two favorite movies, right? I could have the movie... No. Okay. What's your favorite? Lord you of the Rings. Two no, Lord of the Rings. I could have two, like, you know, they're my 10 out of These movies are like my 9.75, my 9.8, my 10 out of 10, right? Lord of the Rings is that for me. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll use these two examples. Mad Max Fury Road. This adrenaline-filled, badass, amazing film where the cinematography is beautiful. It's not like you, you, you think at the end of the day, huh? I wonder what Mad Max Free Road was trying to teach me. Let me get pensive about this, right? It's just fun. It's entertaining. And then you have your Schindler's List. Mm -hmm. Schindler's List, also a damn near perfect film, or perfect film, where you're not sitting there going, oh, I'm adrenaline-filled, unless you're Richard and you're a skinhead. <laughs> but when you're watching Schindler's List, you are going, I am floored, I'm crying, I'm emotional. Both are going for completely different things and do it to near perfection. So that is why Golden Sun is a 10 out of 10. And that's why I don't take your little bullying, you little glasses wearing. Um, I also wear glasses, I'm but not right sorry, now. I'm very sorry, I just think Hyperion does a better better world building. My apologies. thing is, I don't even think Pierce Brown could be really offended. I bet he loves Hyperion. And he's like, hey, that's, hey, that's not a bad comparison. Hey, Hyperion's fantastic world building. So... Well, here's the thing, Pierce Brown. Preference. I'm sure he, I'm sure he's a humble man, so I have to say it's a ten for him. Okay, I he might say, "Nah, my book's all right." He knows he knows he has to be humble. He has to be respectful. But to get into this with Tolkien as well, the interesting thing we'll end the podcast on is: Did you read the acknowledgments at the end of the book? The acknowledgment at the end of the book. This is what Pierce Brown says: "Is book's over." He says, "My favorite line from Lord of the Rings comes when Frodo has all but given up." his quest and Samwise says to him come Mr. Frodo I can't carry it for you but I can carry you writing is a lonely quest at times you lose the path you take the mountain pass only to realize you've made a mistake and must double back through a more treacherous route often there's no wizard to guide you no signpost except those you conjure everything is up to you and that can be daunting at least to me but though my friends and family may not be able to guide the story, they carry me with their love and friendship, and I'm lucky for it. And then he goes on to thank everybody, of course. What a touching acknowledgement at the end, respecting the goat yeah. Tolkien. Of course, Tolkien can be unmatched. But looking at these different things, I love them in their own different ways. Thank you, Pierce Brown. Richard, thank you for letting me talk again so much in this I, podcast. I really hope you can find a friend like that. Bye, everyone. Dr. Doofenshmirtz, Evil Incorporated. <laughs>